by the way, like life is lonely and it, it gets really hard and complicated and having somebody that no matter what you go through, you aren't going to end the friendship because you have that stronger bond of family, I think just is comforting even when it's challenging. Hey everyone, welcome to episode 16 of the Mad Happy Podcast. I'm Payman. And I'm Mason. And we created this podcast to have conversations about mental health. We talk about some pretty serious topics on the show. We are by no means professionals and are not giving advice. If you or someone you know needs help, please visit us at localoptimist.com backslash podcast. Today, it's our pleasure to welcome sisters Aaron Foster and Sarah Foster. You may have recently heard their new podcast, The World's First Podcast, that dropped a couple months ago, or you may know them from many other things they've done. Yeah, they are hilarious. I mean, we've been following them for a few years since they had their reality show back in 2017. It was so awesome to be able to talk to them about their relationship, growing up, kind of how they dealt with kind of being famous adjacent, uh, starting a clothing company, investing, working together, becoming parents. It was awesome. The Mad Happy Podcast is brought to you by Optimism and is now powered by Cash App. We're super excited to talk to you guys about our new sponsor, Cash App. You know, since we started the show, a lot of people had been asking us about having a sponsor, what that might look like, and we wanted to be patient, and a few people hit us up, and we really wanted to do things differently. We wanted to do something that really benefited our listeners and our audience, and obviously something that was so in tune with mental health and really being able to help give back to our community, and we couldn't be more excited to announce our sponsorship with Cash App. Here's how it works. Each week, we'll be giving out thousands of dollars to a handful of listeners. Our hope is that you could put this money towards something that could better your mental health. Maybe it's a therapy session, maybe it's for a cup of coffee, or a donation to a cause you really care about. Whatever it is, we hope it's something that goes a long way for you in bettering yourself and your mental health. To enter, all you have to do is leave us a review on Apple Podcasts or follow the directions of our latest Instagram post on The Local Optimist. More information can be found in the show notes. We're so excited to start this partnership with Cash App. And everyone, enjoy the show with Aaron and Sarah Foster. Today, we're joined by Aaron and Sarah Foster. Thank you guys both for being here. Thanks for having us. We always laugh because people, you know, it's so funny. People introduce us like... A- you're, you're just like going right into it? I think they have like an intro no. and stuff. No, no, I like it. I want to hear no, it. No, I'm, I'm just saying I always laugh because everybody says like, oh, Aaron and Sarah Foster, like we're a married couple. Yeah, but how else do you want to say it? We're sisters. Aaron Foster and Sarah Foster. It's not just you guys. It's everybody. (laughs) We're not a married couple, even though sometimes, unfortunately, it feels like that. We are not. But they say Mary Kate and Ashley Olsen. They don't go Mary Kate Olsen and Ashley Olsen. I feel like it's more of like an efficiency thing, even though it's not. I agree. Sarah has like some weird paranoia that we come across like a lesbian couple, but I do not think that's how it comes across. (laughs) Well, Aaron and Sarah, thank you both for being here. Uh, I'll let let Mason kick us off. (laughs) My first question for you guys and Payment, I want to ask you too, is we all have siblings and I think you guys are largely known for being siblings, like you said. What is kind of a fun fact or, or an underrated part you feel like about having siblings in your life? Um, I just wanted to start off by saying bummer for Ashley and Mary Kate that you compared us to them. They're definitely like, please don't put us in the same category. Um, I think that Aaron and I always say like, as much as 
we disagree as much as the relationship is complicated. Nobody else can possibly, and I don't know if I'm answering your question, but I'm just going to go on a tangent here. Nobody else can possibly fathom what it's like to grow up in your household. Nobody else, you, you can't, no one else can relate to what that experience was like 18 years being under the same roof and having that bond and having those experiences, you just, you can't get that with your husband. You can't get that with your wife. You can't get that with your kids, your best friend. It's just something that is, it's uncomparable. Did that answer the question? Not really. Yeah, I think so. Yeah, I'm. I I'm always saying that it's it's. Uh, I think especially when you have um, a complicated childhood and like divorced parents um, at a young age, which unfortunately most people have, having a sibling changes the way that you operate in the world because you know it's a, a lonely. Being, by the way, like life is lonely and it, it gets really hard and complicated and having somebody that no matter what you go through, you aren't going to end the friendship because you have that stronger bond of family, I think just uh, is comforting even when it's challenging. But then the thing that I would think people maybe don't know, but I mean, we've said this on our podcast is um, Sarah and I were not close growing up at all. We weren't friends and we weren't close. Sarah wanted um, really nothing to do with me. Um, and I was- Well, to be fair, I didn't, I wasn't, it wasn't just, I wanted nothing to do with you. Like, I just wanted to be an adult. I just wanted, I asked for, I did a PowerPoint presentation when I was 14, explaining to my mom why I deserved to be able to move into the apartments that were being built on our street. Like, it wasn't just you. Yeah, she it wanted was, nothing to do with the I, family. I just happened to be yeah, a part yeah, of that yeah, family. Yeah. But yeah. people are just surprised because we seem yeah. so close now, because we are so close now. We work together yeah. and we're together all the time that we really didn't have a relationship at all until I was in my mid-20s, early 20s. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. What you were saying, Sarah, about living under the same roof and, and kind of having a common understanding that no one else can relate to, I, I definitely get that. I mean, I have five siblings from three different marriages as well that, that I grew up with. Um, and it's interesting to kind of see how my relationship dynamics with my siblings have kind of changed and evolved as we've gotten older. I mean, my mom was always super keen on having us never use the term step or half or anything like that once we were all living under the same roof. So I feel really grateful that like I did grow up with these people really as my brothers and sisters and there never really felt like any divide. But I feel like some of my biggest insecurities that come from my childhood were kind of thinking like, oh, my dad doesn't love me as much as his biological kids or like me and my mom have this special connection because like I was her firstborn, even though I'm not the oldest and things like that. And in reading about your guys kind of blended family and your history, I wonder what kind of impact that had on each of your mental health, having to kind of navigate new siblings in and out and, and, and step parents and just kind of the changing dynamics there. Yeah, we've spoken, you know, we've been transparent about like our journey and what it was like growing up with blended families. And, you know, I, I'll, I'll, I'll keep it short, but we sort of had the polar opposite situation as you. We grew up feeling like, oh, does our dad love us as much as he loves his stepchildren? Because he lived with his stepchildren mm. and not with us. Because, you know, you live with, you go with your mom. Your parents get divorced a lot of the time. You go with your mom. And our dad was sure. an amazing dad, but we didn't live with him. You know, we saw him on the weekends and just geographically, you know, it changes things. So he lived full time with his stepchildren. So we had that. We also didn't have a loving stepmother. So we didn't have like a good relationship with our stepmother. So we didn't have this like maternal figure making sure that 
that that felt safe. And so, I mean, it's everything like that's, that's the, that's the cornerstone of who you become is, is what you're exposed to the nurturing or lack of nurturing you're exposed to as a child. And it, it finds its way, it permeates in every part of your adult life. And I think that, you know, you go to therapy and you talk it through and, and you move on from it as much as you can. And you create the life that you want for your kids and your life. But like, you know, it was even hard for me when I got married. I, I married someone who comes from a really traditional family, married 42 years, no divorce anywhere in sight. And it was such a difference in our, like how we viewed everything. And immediately my husband was like, okay, so now my parents are your parents and my family is your family. And it like really like triggered me. Cause I was like, um, I've had a lot of fucking families. I'm like done having families. <laughs> so I have 20 parents. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Like these are my in-laws or these are my stepsisters. And he's like, no, 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 no. That's not how I look at it. Like he looks at his sister at his sister-in-law and he just says, this is my sister. He looks at Sarah and says, that's my sister. Cause for him, like creating more closeness, like you were talking about in your household, like losing those added barriers of a step or a half or an in-law it creates closeness and for me i wanted to create a barrier like i wanted to be like to be protecting myself of like i don't need more family and and it's taken so much time for me to let those those barriers down and and realize that that's like you know my therapist would say to me sometimes like how old do you feel when you're saying that and i'm like yeah, I don't feel my age. I definitely feel like seven when I'm like having a fit about, you know, saying in-law or, or sister because that's like old, that's old shit. It's not, it's not, you don't need it anymore. Totally. Sarah, you said something about, you know, you wanting to be an adult when you're 14. I guess I'm wondering like, was it because of like this blended family situation you felt like you wanted to like get away? And at the time, I don't know if you knew or not, but like, did that feel like sort of your first like, mental health experience uh, like growing up I think when you're the old the oldest sibling right it's like it's a role you didn't ask for and you're supposed to be the one that everyone looks up to and you're supposed to be the one that helps your younger siblings and it's just this like this position that you were born into that you didn't ask for and I just wasn't cut out for it I just at the time because I was dealing with my own trauma and dealing with the demise of my family unit, which were my parents. And I learned from like a really young age to just brush it under the rug, right? Like the only way I'm going to get through this, I'm just going to just brush it up under the rug and I'm going to lace up my boots and I'm going to be okay. And I, I hardened myself to a point where I just like, I stopped feeling, I just stopped feeling. And I think it, it was just like, and I'm so much more aware of it now because when you're a kid, you it's like misplaced feelings because you can't identify what it is when you're 12. You can't like, you can't go like, I'm inept. I'm, I don't have the equipment to be the sister I need to be because I'm sad. You know, you can't, I didn't realize that till like much later. I didn't go like, wait, I was like emotionally abandoned in a lot of ways. And you, you don't realize until, I mean- the truth is I didn't start really peeling back the onion until like my late thirties. I didn't go to therapy until recently. Yeah. Sarah's so, a little late, later on the self I'm a, reflection. No, I'm a little, I'm a little late to the party. Cause I think you're just kind of like, you're afraid, you're afraid of what you're going to find. And, and you're like, well, life is good. I have two kids. I have great, a, a, you know, a relationship for 15 years. Work is good. Like I, I don't want to, I don't want to rock the boat. Right. 
but but it's you're gonna have to do it eventually no for sure i was i was gonna ask i feel like what you said a lot of people can relate to in terms of sweeping things under the rug and just trying to be tough and and kind of get over it i mean that's a big part of why we have this show why we're doing everything that we're doing at mad happy so many people struggle with making the change and kind of starting the first step on that journey i know you said that you didn't get into it until later than life but was there an event that happened or was it just as you got older and wanted to start your own family but how do you go from sweeping everything under the rug and being tough to like all right i have to kind of open up now and be vulnerable i mean I'll, i actually i remember the moment where i was on we were on a lake we were in, in lake tahoe and I don't remember what happened. Something happened. I snapped at my kids. I I don't remember exactly what the thing was, but Erin looked at me and she was like, dude, it's time. I have someone that I really think could help you. And it's it's time. And we were in the kitchen in Lake Tahoe and I just couldn't avoid it anymore. It was just like, you can't say no to help, right? This was like, she was going, I'm literally putting you on email with this person. Like, like I'm doing it right now in real time. Like I'm sending the email. Like because well, it's you, really you have to. It's really hard to. when one person's like doing all the work. You know, I mean, doing the work, the the self work, like looking at your stuff and like working on yourself and trying to grow. And you're so close to someone who's kind of like triggered by the idea of doing the work, right? Like because you're in a we're in a relationship. You know, we do everything together. We're together all the time, and it's like one person starts to work on themselves and the other doesn't, and you kind of like need both people to participate, you know, because I've been in therapy since I was three. I don't know how we had such a different experience that she started at 35 and I started at three, but it's really freeing though, to, to have like such an understanding of the direct correlation of why you do certain things, right? Like I'll talk to this guy and I'll be like, but why am I so triggered by people that do X, Y, and Z? And he'll say, because you were always fighting for a place. You were always fighting for your place. Like, are you good enough as your stepbrothers? Are you, are you worthy enough to be like loved by this person? Like that, that's why. Right. And it's like, oh my God, that makes perfect sense. And when you have an understanding, then you can start healing. For sure. I mean, I think Sarah, I could definitely relate. I'm the older brother. I have a brother who's two years younger. I also work with him uh, in Mad Happy. So oh, wow. it definitely always did feel like a role that you were just given and didn't ask for. Yeah, and you just I was had to, like, like figure out. Yeah, but but I think the other you like part, it though. I think yeah, you like you wear well. I, I like it now. I think, but like I think the other part of that is Aaron. For you, I think like I've thought about like what kind of like my brother had to like go through and like those feelings like you said at the beginning like you felt like Sarah wanted nothing to do with you or like maybe she did at the time but like I'm sure like as a younger sibling like that couldn't have felt good right like when you're a younger sibling like you want your older sibling to like you all of that I'm curious if you remember anything there and then also like starting therapy at three like Mason started when he was seven I started this year so we kind of have like that similar thing like why did you start that early and did you feel like that was like super helpful in like processing those emotions Sarah and I were just always really like opposites and the way that Sarah like shut her feelings off, I was like really, really sensitive. And so I felt everything and she felt nothing. And I feel like I almost like absorbed whatever she wasn't feeling. Well, like, you thought I felt nothing that your perception was, I felt nothing. I'm just saying what you just said, where you <laughs> said I stopped feeling and I shut down and no, brushed no. under the rug. Yeah. But when you're brushing things under the rug, you're still feeling it. You're just putting it somewhere else. Okay. This is, 
my perception. You're not fully feeling it, but you are feeling it. Yeah. You are. Yes. But Sarah was much more shut off and I was fully aware of everything. So I was feeling everything. She was feeling whatever she was feeling. I won't speak to her feelings. And yes, it was incredibly difficult being the, I was the middle child um, because I felt really responsible for our younger sister and I really wanted to be a good big sister and I really wanted to be a family unit. And Sarah just didn't want to have to be a part of that. So, you know, something I did recently, which I have not talked about, uh, but I did MDMA therapy, which I'm assuming you guys know <gasps> whoa, about. Oh, this is the first time you're telling anybody about this. Well, it's not, I can't believe yeah. you just, well, whoa. It's not, I mean, listen, it, no, it's great. It's not that it's big great. of a deal, but yeah, it's great. Um, but it's a really, really profound experience. And for, I'm sure you guys, do you guys know about it? Yes. Yes. All about it. Okay. So for people who don't know about it, or if you guys haven't talked about it, you take MDMA clinical grade, like clean with a person supervising you in a safe place. And when you take MDMA and you don't like go to a concert and you cover your eyes and you're in, you know, like a dark room, um, instead of you looking outward and being like, Oh my God, I love you so much. And I've always felt connected to you. You go inward and it takes you into your subconscious into all of your most traumatic moments in your childhood or your life. And you like re-experience them from a different point of view as an adult. And, um, the idea is that, you know, your body holds on to all your traumas, even if you don't remember them and your subconscious always remembers them. And it's why you have anxiety as an adult that you don't understand. It's what stops you from feeling connected to people and you want to feel connected or like continuously making bad decisions that you think you should know better. It's like you're, you have this, you're stuck in this trauma that you haven't like worked through or let go of and it helps you let it go. And so just pertaining to the question you just asked, one of the things that really helped me understand my relationship with Sarah when we were growing up is that for me as a kid, all I saw was like my side of the house. Like I could just see Sarah's door closed to me. Don't come in. I don't want to play with you and I don't want to spend time with you. And I only experienced it on my side. Like, why am I stuck out here? Why won't she let me in? Like, this hurts. But when I did the MDMA, I saw her on her side of the room, in her room, being like, I have to shut myself out because I can't handle this stuff. And so it gives you that that like fuller perspective of a situation that you can't understand when you're six or seven years old. You only see your experience. And it gave you... It gave me a bit better understanding of kind of like the pain that everybody was in instead of just looking at it from your own point of view. And it really helps you let go of a lot of um, anger and resentment. I mean, not all of it. I still have some of it, but. That's awesome. I mean, just allowing you to feel that empathy. Um, Would you say that it was like overall like a positive experience that other you're glad you did? I would say that it was a life-changing experience for the better. Yeah. It's like, I don't think I'll ever That's amazing. be the same. Isn't this about to be like regulated or it's like about, to, I mean, it's like approved therapy, right? Like this is turning. It, exactly. Yeah. yeah. I think it's like, um, we actually have someone coming on the show to talk about this uh, more specifically, but I think it's like, it's going to be like used everywhere, starting with like people with PTSD, but then like obviously for everyone. And I think the part that people get like mixed up about it is like, yeah, they, they compare it to like the molly that they know of which is like a way different experience very different blindfolded and it like sounds like so scary when you like first hear about it i mean when you say blindfolded it sounds like very scary but it's really more like i just wore the silk eye mask that i sleep in right and and you can like peek out and look around the room you always know exactly where you are so i could peek out and see like is it still light outside because you kind of lose track of time but 
that part is is comforting actually like because it gives you this opportunity to like the way i would did have you guys done it no mm-hmm. oh okay so the way i would wait erin just... and you did it with therapists right are the people you did it with therapists or they're they're not therapists they're not oh, what they, are they they are um just they're facilitators they're just people who are experiencing this way and they know how to manage what I'm familiar with the uh, with mdma i'm sure like life coaches or something uh they really they really don't have any they're just they don't have a label and guides is how they're dealers yeah Yeah, they're drug dealers (laughs) Uh, but they don't guide you actually they because if they if they took you if they guided you through the experience then it would be like where they want you to go but you really just have to take yourself wherever you're gonna go and so they kind of just like are there for you if you get scared or if you you know everything you're looking at is uncomfortable you're you're only looking at things that you don't want to face you're only looking at things that you've stuffed down. So if you've stuffed it down, it's painful, it's traumatic, it's scary. Maybe you don't even know it happened. And that is uncomfortable. So they're there to make sure that you just know that you're in a safe place. And it's a, I mean, honestly, it's like a miraculous, miraculous experience to have. I I mean, I, they say that it should be legal by like 2023. So, you know, someone come arrest me. I did it before that. (laughs) Yeah. The, uh, the closest things I've done to that are like EMDR and then also psychotherapy, which are pretty similar in the fact that you were saying how we have all these stored traumas that we just haven't processed that even if we don't think about, they're still there and having an effect on us. So like, I know it can seem terrifying for people to be like, why would I want to actually relive the thing that might've fucked me up the most? But when you can do it later in the future, you can kind of, you're almost removed from it. Like you're almost looking at yourself, live through it in a way where you're able to like realize so many other things and kind of, it's almost like you're seeing different camera angles of the same perspective. And I'm so glad that you brought that up because one of the sayings that I hate the most is that time heals all wounds. I think that's (sighs) total bullshit and that all wounds are there no matter what and only some real work and like activity actually about those wounds can really heal them. Um, But yeah, maybe... Maybe we'll try it. Well, they don't heal, right? They go into our subconscious. Like they don't. Exactly. And then then they manifest in other ways. Like screaming at your kids in Lake Tahoe. Exactly. (laughs) You guys, should we all do MDMA together? I think I need to do it. I'm just so scared. I don't even drink. Like, I mean, I drink. I I don't drink either. I've I've been sober for three years. I don't drink. I don't do drugs. I don't like uh, the idea of not being 100% in control is just not in the cards for me. Well, something that yeah. the facilitator I worked with said to me, which I told Sarah, I think today, even I said to her, listen, if I don't know about these things, like, I don't know if I need to look at them. I don't know if I want to see all the dark shit that is in my childhood and re-experience mm-hmm. it. Like maybe I just let it go. I go to therapy. I'm functioning. And she said, okay, well, just so you know, you live with it every single day, no matter what it is, you already know, and you live with it. And it's the reason why you have anxiety. It's the reason why you can't sleep. And it's the reason why you have um, inflammatory disease. And it's the reason why you have aches and pains and that you can't, you know, you feel like you're what I'm, this is, I'm not personalizing, but for anybody else, the reason why you don't feel lovable, the reason why you don't, you're too scared to go after that job. The reason why you only look, you know, connect to people who are toxic, like, all these ways that it is presenting itself in your life, you already know it and you live with it and it's killing you. So you either face it and let it go or you just keep sitting with it because it's there. So it's not like you're looking at something new. You're looking at something that you already know. Yeah, you already know, but you don't 
think about. So it's like hard for people to understand that they already know because it's subconscious. But we were talking to this uh, psychologist that we had on last week and she was like, you don't know what you don't know. And it, 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 it's kind of tricky because I feel like even in this situation, there are things that have happened to you that you've just completely dissociated yourself from but are still active, which is, is, is complicated if you're not really willing to have that conversation. Um, just to get back on track a little bit. I was curious for you guys, like obviously growing up with a famous father and kind of in a community with a lot of famous people and just kind of living that life a lot growing up, how was your relationship to fame? Like, did you guys feel famous? Did other people consider you guys famous? Uh, I find that super interesting. I feel like we were always like the biggest losers. Like we were always famous adjacent. Like our yeah. step siblings became famous. The, their dad was, you know, with the Kardashians. They became famous. Then my dad married Yolanda Hadid. They became famous. I feel like we were always very, very adjacent to it. I always felt kind of like a loser. I mean, I was like cool in school and all those things, but I never, mm-hmm. I never felt famous. I think it was tricky because, you know, our dad was obviously, he was who he was and he had this big fancy life. And I always felt like I got the brunt of being referred to and looked at as like a rich kid and a spoiled brat because he mm-hmm. lived in some, you know, huge house, but I didn't live in that house. But I always I always felt that we got sort of the worst sides of it because we we you know, when you're growing yeah. up kids are like jealous and mad and so they'd call us like spoiled brats and entitled and rich kids and it was because of this big life that they were seeing but not that we were like, you know, living in a, you know, motorhome somewhere. We had a nice life also, but it wasn't to the extent right. that people were were watching. And so we we always kind of felt like we weren't fully a part of the thing that we were going to, we were being shamed for. We were like, this is unfair. We don't have a trust fund. Stop calling us heiresses or trust fund kids. We don't fucking have a trust fund. Like we work for every, everything we have is what we work for. So it's kind of like, look, I'm down to be an heiress. Like I'll take that trust fund right now, but- <laughs> We don't have it. So it's not really, but that's, that's more today. I mean, today, obviously we, we work, we have all of our, you know, we make our own money and we support ourselves. But when we were teenagers, we didn't, you know, and like, obviously our parents supported us when we were teenagers. And I think that, um, I think I just always had like shame around being the rich kid that didn't really feel like I got all the benefits of being a rich kid, but it's important to mention too. You know, I went to Crossroads, which I don't know if you're familiar with Crossroads. It's in Santa Monica. It's like everyone at Crossroads, like everyone's dad or mom at Crossroads is either rich, famous, an athlete, an actor, a CEO, whatever it was. So for me, our dad was so wildly successful. But at the time growing up, there was no, you know, he was a, he was considered a behind the scenes guy. Right. Mm -hmm. So my best friend was Kate Hudson, whose parents were Goldie Hawn and Kurt Russell. Like, so for me, I was like, holy shit, like that's fame. Like those were my friends. So I felt like, yeah. oh, she my dad, she was all relative. I went to public school at Malibu High and my friends were mar- <laughs> far more impressed with my life than Sarah's friends were with hers. Yeah, for me, I was like Goldie Hawn over here. I was like, that's fame, you know? I was like, <laughs> Do you feel like that led to any kind of resentments about being famous for you guys? Like not experiencing any of the positive effects of it and then even in turn, maybe leading to some of like the inspiration behind the show? Well, the inspiration behind the show, listen, we, we grew up with like, we, we really did have two like solid parents, like get, take yes. away the circumstances and take away the, the, the chaos of divorce and 
marriages and step siblings and all that. You know, our mom is like a salt of the earth, like really solid person who never was interested in fame or being a part of like a scene. And our dad, because of his work, was a part of that world, but he instilled good values in us. So, yes. And we grew up knowing he would take a bullet for us. Like, you know, he was like, it was complicated, but we grew up knowing like that real kind of love. Like we did. The love was there. Yeah. Yes, of course. So we always had like, I think that for me, at least it always propelled me in a direction of really wanting to prove myself to the world that like, I have something to say, I have good work ethic. I'm, I'm, this isn't, you know, everything I do isn't, uh, tied to nepotism. And, you know, Sarah and I work really hard. We were really busy and we make our own money. We support ourselves. And still today, like I, I could post something that I'm excited about doing and someone will write the, like, you know, my daddy pays my bills and like, it fully triggers me. I find, I argue with them. Like I find myself responding to them because I feel so defensive. Um, because I think when you do grow up that way, you really feel this like deep desire to prove those people wrong or to at least prove that you are valuable on your own and that you've gotten here. Um, listen, I wouldn't say we've gotten here. You can't ignore or deny growing up in a family. You can't ignore privilege. You can't ignore privilege. You always feel this need to prove uh, that you have work ethic. But but that being said, we would never deny the privilege that we had growing up and ne never having to worry about where we're going to live, where, how, how we're going to eat. We, if we wanted to go to a school, we could go to that school. And, you know, that gives you access. Growing up in Los Angeles with a plugged in parent does put your foot in a lot of doors. Now that does not mean that it's going to give you talent or work ethic or intelligence or ability that we have to bring to the table, but we had a lot of great opportunities. And I believe that we turned them into something even better where somebody else maybe would turn it into nothing. I think more than anything, just knowing you have a safety net, knowing that we could always at the end of the day, go to someone and say, I got, I, I lost, I don't have a fucking dollar. Like we, I will never be homeless. We'll always have a roof over our head, food on the table. Just knowing you have that sort of safety net, I think just alleviates certain stressors that maybe inhibit you for taking the next step in your career. You know what I'm saying? Like our dad never like made, our dad never made phone calls for us. Like, Hey, can you pick up this show that my daughters wrote? An executive at VH1 doesn't give a shit if David Foster is like, it doesn't work like that. We're talking about millions and millions and millions of dollars to make a show. They don't, it doesn't work like that. Right. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Which but takes like, me to the impetus for barely famous, which, uh, I would say that in our twenties, I can say for myself and I think for Sarah as well, like my biggest fear was being seen as some like vapid blonde access this like vapid blonde actress who has all this access um, to everything in Hollywood. And I really wanted to be like taken seriously and thought of as like edgy and my own person. And so instead I chose to write a show about two vapid blonde actresses who have all this access and don't know what to do with it because it felt like the best way to control the narrative is to fully just lean in to what people may have perceived and in that process mm -hmm. sort of like own the narrative myself instead of being like a character in it. But it also came from us being so surrounded by reality TV. Like our dad did princes of Malibu with his, with, with his stepkids there. And then, then his next wife was on the housewives of Beverly Hills. Right. 
no, no, like all we love watching re reality TV. It's great. Aaron's favorite show on the planet is Vanderpump Rules. Like we get it. But personally for us, that is never anything that we want to be involved in. Right. So we were like, are we the only people that are just trying to like avoid my dad's house when they're filming a Bravo show, like a reality show? Like, yeah. right. Or, so that was also because of growing up around people having the desire to do reality TV and Aaron and I were so against it, not because it's bad, but just for us, for how we saw our Just to accomplish the thing that we wanted to accomplish, which is being taken yeah. seriously. It was never going to help us to, to be in that lane. We were just, I was really looking to create my own path as a comedy writer. And I just knew that that's not the path there. And so my managers at one point at three arts, they made a joke, like all of our clients are trying to get reality shows made. And I'm just trying to like dodge phone calls of people putting you guys in a reality show. And yeah. so that's where we were like, huh, would it be funny if we made a show about two girls who are like desperate to be on reality TV, but they like tell everyone that they're better than it and that they won't be on a reality show. And then we just sort of like coming up with some like- But they're filming a reality show about it. Very <laughs> yeah. meta, I know, but like- Sarah, I'm curious, like, like, I think you made a great point just in, in terms of like still being super just grateful for like the roof over your head, like the, just like the privilege of like even growing up in LA, I think is super important. Um, I'm curious, like over- over time as you guys started to work together like how did that evolve in terms of your relationship because you went from like distancing yourself from Aaron growing up to then working together seemingly on like multiple things and like obviously there's been a lot of evolution in the relationship since so like how how did that uh come about I think that it's a real um that in life right and we see this happen a lot not only with siblings but with like friends coworkers, whatever it is like we all sort of have our turn being up and have our turn being down. And at some point, dynamics shift and the person that's so up and winning in life and everything is so great is now kind of down here going, oh, fuck. And that person that maybe struggled a little bit more is killing it in life, right? And Aaron and I kind of shifted. Like, I was always, life was really easy for me. I had tons of friends in high school. I got offered things all the time. Life just, Aaron always says, there were green lights for me and red lights for her, right? Growing up. And I never appreciated them. I was just like, yeah, well, whatever. Like this is, you know, what, yeah. And as we started developing this show and working together, the roles just shifted. Erin is a very talented writer. Like she just, that is her skill set. I'm a little bit more of like a hustler, right? I don't know that I necessarily have like a tangible talent, you know, but I sort of just like, I figure it out, right? And so because Erin took more of that authoritative role in all of our television stuff, just because she is so brilliant naturally, and and I think it was good for Erin to have that, not power over me, because she didn't like <laughs> hold it over me, but no, you didn't hold it over me. But I think in a lot of ways, like that shift was was good for our relationship. Yeah. And and now, you know, we 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 really delegate well. Our skill sets actually complement each other really well. I do all the shit she doesn't want to do. She does the shit I don't want to do. I'm good at this. She's good at that. But I think that dynamic shift sort of had to happen for us to get to where we, where we are now. I don't know if you would agree, Aaron, but yeah, 
Absolutely. We're back to even now. We're back to even. But What about for you and, and Noah working together, P? Um, yeah, I don't know. I mean, I, it's not something I thought about before we started the brand. So I think like I wish I did. Um, and then we were both super young. So when we started, I was 23 and he was 21. So I think you learn a lot over like the first couple of years of like how to work together and then like how to work on like your sibling relationship, which is like different than like your work relationship. Uh, but I think it's like an ongoing thing. It's it's not always like super easy, uh, but but I like it. I, I love it. So um. well, we always say like, you know, in a real like normal work setting, you're not allowed to just say whatever the fuck you want to say. You have to like if someone fucks up or says something stupid, you have to kind of like hold your tongue and, you know, go home and be like, God, like Ashley did the dumbest thing today. We were on this call and she said this thing that was just so stupid and it pissed me off. Right. Like if you say everything you feel, that is not healthy in a work environment. Yeah. But with with siblings, Aaron has no problem being like, dude, that wasn't fucking funny. I've given you direction 10 times. Can you just like hit the note, like hit the lot, like hit the joke. You're not hitting the joke. Or why would you just say that on that Zoom? You made us sound dumb. Like what? So yeah. that creates a whole other like level of friction because we really don't hold anything back in work. Yeah, and it's like tough for other people because it's like, yeah. how do you deal with oh. that? And like, it's just awkward. <laughs> I, I feel that for <sighs> sure. I, I know it, it is hard because like your relationship is just different. Um, it, it's sure. just different. We sit in meetings and people around us are like, "Oh my god, oh my god, do I just walk out? Do I go? Where do I? Where do I? Just let me know when I can uncover my eyes." Yeah. For sure. Yeah. Um, I want to talk about your guys' other show. Um, congratulations on starting the world's first podcast. Uh, we definitely need a lot of those. What uh, <laughs> What was the story kind of behind the show? Like, why did you guys want to do it? What is it about? Uh, what can we expect from it? We just thought it was a medium people should know about, right, Aaron? Like, we just thought it's it's time yeah, for people I mean, to find out about podcasts. Obviously, we're pretty pretty late to the podcast. We're game. the last. Um, <laughs> the you last. know, sometimes something's so simple that you make it really complicated. Like we we've been mm-hmm. wanting to do one and for I don't know three years, and we just kept overcomplicating it. Do we do it with this company? Do we do it with this company? What you know? We just kind of I don't know. It was just we made it too difficult when you could literally just open your computer and start recording something and throw it on the internet, and we just made it hard for ourselves. So. Um, we finally got, I just didn't know if we'd have anything to say. Yeah. We, Sarah, Sarah got insecure about it. She thought that maybe we we wouldn't have anything to talk about, but, um, well, I was just like, who's going to listen to us. No one's going to listen to us. Like that was always in my mind. I'm always like, no one wants to listen to us. No one wants to see us. We're annoying. Uh, and I I feel like, I feel like sort of like the, the interesting part is I've actually listened to a bunch of the episodes and they're great. And it was before we were even having you guys on, um, my girlfriend shared the, the conversion episode with me, which was amazing. And generally speaking, I feel like the show has like a very like mental health, like underpinning. And it's just like part of like everyone's life. So if you're like talking about life, you're talking about mental health, like is that intentional or is sort of like the idea of the show, just like talk about whatever. And then the topics end up that end up getting covered are that. I think like I personally have been on a real, I've always been the one that's like more open about what I'm going through and what I'm struggling with and like anxiety and my um, like sweet spot has really been connecting to other women on like how they feel and relating to them on how hard dating is or how hard, you know, your friends getting married when you're not married yet is because I met my husband when I was 35 and felt like, you know, I was ancient and it was never going to happen for me. And um, I've always really wanted to connect with other people and, and talk about that stuff. And I think that like naturally, um, our podcast has leaned into, um, talking about relationships, 
getting married, staying married, being single, trying to get pregnant. Um, I converted to Judaism, obviously. That's where that came from. And, and, and welcome. Thank you. Uh, and it's been, it's great to be Jewish. Um, and people were really interested. I mean, my husband has said to me that I've become like the Tom Cruise of Judaism. Um, and which I honestly take, is that a good thing? I I take pride in it, but I was surprised at how much people were interested in, in hearing about it. And Sarah became really fascinated by me converting and like, you know, Sarah's going to be at our Rosh Hashanah dinner on Monday night at our house, her and her kids. Um, so I, I, I'm not like, it's about my life, but I think that I've gone through two, through so many life changes in the last couple of years that we ended up sort of tracking those in the podcast. Cause they're, they're so much more connected to like most women's experiences. And it just sort of ended up being like a deeper, more meaningful podcast than we really set out to make. Also like my, our brand, we are all about transparency. We are all about not perpetuating this completely unrealistic and unattainable standard of lifestyle and beauty. Like you, you see all these women on Instagram and they're all like basically bragging about their fucking life. Right. And everyone's quadruple filtered. And I mean, I'm not saying we don't filter, but we really like try to, to, to talk in a way that our audience can relate to us and not feel like intimidated by us. Right. Like that was always, that's just who we are. Like that's just been how we connect with an audience, whether it's like the content that we're doing for brands or it's our TV show, like we're always the butt of the joke. So I think it just comes through in each episode, maybe that like that the core of it is really trying to empower women and men and make people feel good and not make people feel like shit. Cause social media, like I think a lot of accounts I follow if I'm really being honest, like kind of make me feel like shit. For sure. And and make me feel like shit about myself. And I, I'm a bad mom. I have bad skin. I don't have a good body. I'm not like successful enough, right? Like everyone's just basically bragging on their social media, which I also do. I get that. But I try to be um, aware of it. And I think in our podcast, we're just trying to... Um, just talk about it. I feel like, yeah, I feel like it's perfect for the format. It's like people will know if like you're not being real because it's like just like going straight into their ears. Like there's nothing that can like confuse them and and like that's like really the only way that we think to do a podcast like makes sense because like that's what people want to hear and a great way to not keep perpetuating it is by having these honest conversations that we're having on our podcast like we feel insecure like how you guys are too are you so wait is your girlfriend Uh, is your girlfriend gonna convert no so she's jewish and i'm not so oh interesting and so would you uh would you convert correct yes you would Wait, yeah. you should go to Aaron's conversion class. Yeah, you should. So that was the whole story because that's why she sent it to me. Uh-huh. Yeah. Now it makes but, more sense. But yeah. Well, Breaking I, news. I uh, highly recommend it. What, uh, Aaron, what what have you found to love so much about Judaism? And were you like religious at all before? Or, or what is, what's that arc been uh, for you? For me, religion was always like a really big point of contention for me. I mean, I had a, a stepmom that was like really Christian when we were little and and it made me really want to be like anti-Christian Christianity. So I always said I was an atheist. I really loved scaring people by saying I was an atheist. When you were like seven, you're like, I'm an atheist. Yeah, I like to <laughs> say, with your- <laughs> I think I sometimes said I was an anarchist, not knowing the difference between the two. I really, really pushed back on, on the idea of religion and um, Christianity has always just like really rubbed me the wrong way and not been something I connect to. And so 
um, I kind of put all religions in the same bucket as Christianity. And uh, as I got older, you know, a lot of my friends in LA are Jewish and it just seemed to have a different tone. It seemed to have a different like value system. And Mm -hmm. when I met my husband, he's Russian Jewish with immigrant parents from Moscow and they fled Russia because they were Jewish. And so Judaism for him and his family, they're not more religious, but it's much more meaningful. It's not like casual for them. Like it's the traditions are very important to them. And so when I did the conversion, um, I said to to Simon that if I didn't connect to what I was learning, I wasn't going to do it because it just wouldn't like I didn't want to phone it in or be fake. It yeah, had to it really feel authentic. Yeah. Yeah. You're really forcing it. So I was scared. Like, I didn't know if I was going to connect to it, you know, and um, and what's cool about this course that I took um, that you'll find out about when you do it uh, yeah. is that they encourage the couple to do it together. Because it's really not about like learning these things in these textbooks to be Jewish enough for this person. It's really about learning together and deciding which things you connect on and agree on so that you can start a Jewish life together and you can have a family that has Jewish values. And so to me, there's this like beautiful concept, this beautiful like belief in Judaism where they believe that the only holy thing is like dinner with your family on Friday night. That is something Shabbat. that no one can take away from you. That they do not put holiness on a on a tangible thing. There's no building, there's no temple that is ever holy. Uh, even like a book, they're not holy. The only thing that's holy is like time with family and loved ones. And that's something that I can get behind, right? Like I don't I don't know what my belief in God is. I don't know what it looks like. It goes in and out. It's not, um, it's not fully realized yet. And, and that's a safe religion where you don't have to know yet. And that felt really, um, good to me. And they also encourage you to question and push back. And that really, really worked for me. Yeah, I can, I can relate to that a lot. I went to Jewish day school my whole life, basically from K through 10, I was bar mitzvah in Israel the whole nine. Um, and I kind of went through a period in my late teens, early twenties where I stopped connecting to it. And it didn't really feel like me. And I feel like a lot of that was because of the formal education that I got around it. And it wasn't as much about kind of the core principles and values that you're describing. And now as I am in my late 20s and kind of creeping closer to thinking about what my own family might look like or something like that, I'm kind of reminded more of those core principles and like really taking those pieces from it. Like I'm going to my dad's house for Shabbat tonight to see my brother and a bunch of my cousins. And like, I'm, I'm so excited, you know, like that's, that's holy, that's Judaism. I think about a lot of the memories and they're just like time with family and friends and, and loved ones, like you said. So I think it can seem kind of scary or like a big rule book that you have to follow A to Z at first. But if you really kind of unpack it and just kind of take what you want from it, I think there's a lot of really beautiful things there. And you'll see too, as you go into like starting your own family, like implementing ritual and tradition is instrumental in like who your children become Mm -hmm. kids kids crave that consistency and all of that and so I even go like should I convert like maybe (laughs) I should convert you know like well you already know know Shabbat that's that's half the battle I I know I know the prayer prayer. (laughs) by the way you know just to what you just said the rabbi said to us in class you know why it's so important also to have your partner who's already Jewish come to the classes is they said, 
he said, um, you know, you, your understanding of the Jewish faith is from a 12 year old's perspective. You have to look mm. at it from an adult's perspective because it's a completely different experience when you're like forced to go to Hebrew school and you don't want to. And like, with your friends. yeah, and it's like you are getting tested on things and like it feels so much more oppressive. And then as an adult, mm -hmm. you can go back and look at it completely differently because, by the way, you don't understand the meaning behind the stories until you're actually an adult. You don't understand like family dynamics and heartbreak and betrayal and death. And like, you don't get that yet. So it's, it's right. really interesting to go through a course like that, even if you don't not converting, just to like relearn as an adult what you thought you understood. Yeah, Aaron's definitely not like memorizing the Torah. No. <laughs> <laughs> All right, Pete, you got a lot of a lot of cut out for you. Yeah, um, we support you. Um, well, thank you. Um, I think to wrap up, I guess one question I'm curious about is like, how do you think about what's next? Like both of you guys personally, but also like together in everything you're working on, like what's like the through line through everything? Like, what are you guys hoping to do with the podcast, the clothing line, everything that you guys are working on? It's so crazy. We have these conversations like all the time. We're like, you know, and now it's okay to be a multi-hyphenate. Now, if you're not a multi-hyphenate, like then like you're so lazy, what are you doing? Right. It used to be like, yeah. well, what are you? Are you an actress? Are you a producer? Are you a writer? Like, what are you doing? Just do that. And, you know, to your point, Aaron and I are in a lot of things. We've got the clothing line. We've got the podcast. We have our overall deal at Disney where we're, you know, developing television shows. Aaron is a writer. So she's writing a show with Steve Levitan right now who created Modern Family. We are, we make a lot of investments. We make a ton of our own personal investments. We're advisors to companies. We were the creative director at Bumble. Like we're, we're all over the map here. And sometimes I go, oh my God, is it too much? But the reality is all these things really funnel into the other. They all serve each other. They're all very purposeful to feed into, um, into each other. So I think that for me, I feel like for the first time, we've really set the stage. We've really set the stage for the next like 20 years of our life in a lot of ways. I think we're going to continue to be to make really thoughtful investments because that has proven to be really meaningful and lucrative at the same time. I think the only reason we have any sort of platform at all is because of our television show that gave us, no one knew who we were before that. And that is what we love to do. We love to make people laugh on TV. So we've toyed around with, you know, re bringing back Barely Famous or developing something similar, but new, um, and hopefully favorite daughter, you know, we're, we're in Nordstrom now. We're about to be in anthropology. Hopefully that our DTC business hopefully will start, you know, will grow. And I, 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 to be honest with you, like, I'm really happy where things are. Like, I'm not looking to start anything else. I feel like the stage is set. I just want to, I just want to keep going with the things that we have and, and, you know, make them better. Amazing. Cool. Uh, we'll end the episode with the same question that we ask everyone. Uh, if you could nominate anyone to come on the show, who has an inspiring mental health journey, someone who's really helped you guys a lot, or someone who you don't even know, you have no idea what their story is, but you just look up to them, uh, who would you nominate? Mm, can't really put us on the spot with this one. I don't know. I have to tell you, and this this is sort of random, but I was really, really, really impacted by Rabbi Leader, mm. who was on who was on our podcast. I know it's, this is a very Jewish episode now, but <laughs> he put things into perspective and broke down uh, like 
the puzzle pieces that you need in order to live a fulfilled, happy life, which is at the end of the day, all we are looking for, all of us. And I didn't know what to expect. I'm not Jewish. I didn't know what to expect going into interviewing him and having a conversation with him. And I think you guys have to have him on your podcast. Yeah, he'd be really good for that. I think somebody with like, somebody in the MDMA therapy world, I really want more people to know about this. And and I want to um, take away any fear that people have around it because I'm like mm-hmm. really, really excited for the day that it becomes, um, more normalized and there's so much to learn. And it sounds like you guys are having an episode about it coming up soon. So sick. And, uh, lastly, 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 Aaron Foster, Sarah Foster, what makes you guys mad happy? Um, my husband being, yeah, being, being one. married, being married. Just that's actually a great one yeah being married my answer my answer is like so cliche I guess because like every parent says it but like my kids if my kids are happy when my kid when my it's funny because the thing that gives me the most happiness is when my girls are being loving to each other like Mm. when you see your kids treating each other well when you see out of the corner of your eye and they don't know you're watching you see the older sister like brush the other one's hair or say like, no, no, like that's not how it is. Let me show you how it is. Like those are the moments where I'm like, oh, okay. It's all working. Nice. Well, that's amazing. Shana Tova. Thank you guys. Shana Tova. (laughs) Shana Shalom, guys. Thank you both so much. We really appreciate it. And we know everyone will love this episode. So I hope so. Thank you for having us on. Of course. Thank you guys so much for listening. As always, it means a lot to us that you're so passionate about mental health and so willing to be a part of this larger conversation that we're all trying to have. And of course, thank you so much to Aaron and Sarah for being so open, sharing all of that with us. We really took a lot of things away from that. We know you guys will too. And for more, of course, check them out on their podcast, which is great. We'll link a couple of the our favorite episodes in the show notes. We also want to remind everyone that mental health is an ongoing process and is something that takes daily work. For more information on how to get support, you can always find us at localoptimist.com backslash podcast. Another big thank you to our new sponsor, Cash App. We're so excited to be able to partner with you guys and give some people money that they can put towards their mental health. We really believe that it'll go a long way. Again, to enter for a chance to win, leave us a review on Apple Podcasts or follow the instructions in our latest IG from Local Optimist. If you want to support the show, please follow us on Spotify or subscribe on Apple to never miss an episode. Tune in next week for our powerful conversation sponsored by Cash App with where we talk about mental health and even give some money away too. See you next time. The Mad Happy Podcast is brought to you by Optimism.